Yes, peoples, episode 175 of Griff's Brain Dump, and it's me, Griff, obviously. How are you doing? It is Sunday the 7th of June, and I've just come back from the protests in London, walking down from MC Gardens to um, where the US Embassy is, all the way to Parliament Square. Short walk. Um and yeah it was good good show of solidarity good to see a lot of people out there a lot of chanting um didn't get to join the marchers early as we wanted to because we was waiting for kazim jamal um he was late very late he was an hour late to the agreed meeting time and i said to him i'll go i'm on the black lives matter march here and the only person i'm annoyed with is is a black person that isn't how it's meant to be, mate. How are we going to be building solidarity if you're pissing me off? This is why we can't come together and progress. <laughs> but no, he got there in time. He got there in the end, sorry. Yeah, that was good. Good positive vibes. Um, a lot of chanting. Um, very funny to hear the chanting in such clear um, English middle class accents as well. Black lives matter. Black lives matter. Black Lives Matter. It was really just every letter enunciated. But it was good. Like I say, I'm not going to have a go at any uh, anyone turning up from different demographics. That was the whole point of it, right? See some people on my Facebook getting... Well, I say some people. No black people. Um, just white, other white comics getting annoyed at middle class, posh white people jumping on the bandwagon going to these protests that's what they're moaning about right um yeah they start digging out left wing white middle class trust fund using daddy's money to go on the protests and what, what we tend to find with these white comedians is they hide behind these all these little mixes all these other divisions they, they spit themselves right wing left wing blah 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 uh and they use that as a barrier to actually slag off the thing they really want to slag off. So the, so what is, these these comedians really just don't like the protests. And they probably don't even like the Black Lives Matter situation. Um, so what they do is go, well, I can't slag off the black people for doing it because people will see that I'm racist. So if I slag off the white people that are there, I can slag off the protests and then look like I'm not a racist. And the reason why I say that is because they're so the only time they've ever expressed concern about this is when these protests have happened. I don't see them expressing any concern when George Floyd died, um, when people actually say Black Lives Matter, when the protests were in America. Didn't care. Or they're the same similar type of people when the protests in America, they say things like, well, they're all looting. I have nothing against the protests, but the looting, no. I don't know anyone who actually cares about the issue who has mentioned the looting. Because we all understand that, yes, looting is wrong. It's illegal. It's not actually particularly helpful to loot. But it's just, uh, it's an externality. You know, like when you build a factory and it, it makes pollution. That's what that is. That is, it's an externality of a protest. Or a riot. I don't mind a riot, but the looting people don't like and do what so what fuck it i guess i'll change my opinion if it was my shop being looted but if i've got insurance i don't care 
I don't care. Um, but yeah, man. But yeah, it was cool. But then, you know, we did the walk. We walked you know, from M- uh, MC Gardens down to Parliament Square. And you get to Parliament Square and we just we stop and we're just chanting. And as my boy Philo said, and he'll probably say in, um, in the Green Room podcast that we'll be recording tomorrow, it just feels like it's good vibes. But what does it actually mean? You know, like, um, you know, what's the next action? We got to the end. It wasn't like there was anyone talking over a microphone with speakers and we could all hear and get inspired and riled up and given direction. You know, like, you need direction. What, what are you going to do? You're going to start voting? Are you going to start petitioning your, your your local MP. Many of us say we love, you know, we're involved in politics. But how many of you can actually name your local MP? What is the name of your local, what's the name of your local councillor for your ward? See, many of us don't know these things. We don't, you know, we just know the leader of the parties and make our decisions on whatever those guys are saying. And we can't access them, so what we do, we tweet and we write derisory Facebook statuses about them you know and Corbyn's and Corbyn's a dick Boris is a prick it's like you know we just that's all we say when we could actually speak to our councillor of our ward or our local MP very easily with by letters that are all formatted and templated on the government website and you can get straight at them and talk to them but we're not that politically engaged like, for example, tear gas and rubber bullets. I wrote my first letter to, to an MP. I'm not talking from this kind of high horse where I've always done this. It's just something I've realised. But, like, yeah, but for example, these rubber bullets and tear gas and stuff's been used in the US on, on the protesters. I was from the UK. So I wrote to my local MP and I told him, hey, I see that these are supplied from the UK. And if they're being misused by law, you have to um, you have to investigate that. And should they be being misused, then they'll hope for you to suspend their suspend the export license. Now, will that make a difference? Who knows? But it's more likely to make a difference than a tweet, right? So, who knows? But listen, I don't want to tell people how to do activism because I've, as I've been saying all week on. On social media, activism is a multi multi lane road. You know, you know, you got your protesting, your marching, your rioting. You've got your tweets. You got social media. You got spread of information. You've got your educators. You've got your actual politicians. You got to speak to them politically. You got your funders, your finances. People just donate and just get things paid for. Your doers, your organisers. Your talkers. All, all these people are equally important. And, and what it is, as long... And they're all just different lanes. And as long as you're heading in the right direction on the correct side of the street, then it's all good. It's all good. The only issue is when, you know, you've got people going in the other direction on your side of the road. Then that's an issue. People going the other direction on the other side of the road, that's what they're going to do. Yeah? For every person who's pushing for equal rights, there's someone who's like, nah, let's just keep things how they are. It's already equal. You know what I mean? No one actually lives in a world where they don't think it's fair. Yeah? Like, for example, people 
back in the day when it was slavery, people who owned slaves didn't think slavery was unfair. They thought it was fair. So it, it, they're going to push in the other direction when you say we need to stop this. Because in their minds, like, well, how else am I going to get free labour? So with the current climate, you just got to keep on pushing, man. Keep pushing. And um, I hope there's a bigger change. I mean, I've had to deal with a lot of white guilt this week. A lot of people outreaching. Saying, hey, Darren, hope you're okay, man. It's been it's been a tough time for you guys. <laughs> Is that what I do? No, it's not, not particularly. Not for me. Um, I've always been black. So this racing thing, like I said, might be new to you. Um, as I said in the week, it's season one for you guys. This is a Netflix drama called Racism, and you guys are on season one. Black people are on season 400. And one thing I've been guilty of with my tweeting and stuff is uh, we've made it a black and white thing. But Asians definitely have a role to play in all of this. Um, it's like a triangular effect. Asians, by no stress of the imagination, have it easy. No stress of the imagination have it, are in the dominant position. But, here's the thing. Many Asians can be used as, um, almost like a, I don't know, I don't know the, the actual proper, you know, technical buzzwords, but for example, when there's a black issue, we need something addressing black people, what those in power will do is say okay we've got a BAME solution which is you know British Asian minority ethnic we've got a BAME solution to that and it's like no 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 no. it's it's us as black people that are angry about this so we want someone black we want a black solution like yeah cool we've got a BAME solution here you go here's an Asian and it's like okay are we meant to celebrate that because we were saying that black people were underrepresented Give an example, Matt Hancock today was asked directly how many black members of the cabinet are there. And he said, well, we've got many people of the BAME community. Uh, we, we have uh, two, uh, you know, Rishi Sunak and, and uh, 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 um, Pretty Patel, uh, just just to name a few. It's, it's not to name a few, you've named the two. And the, I loved how the presenter, white woman, went, no, but it's important not to just group everyone together as non-white Asked specifically about black, and he said, like, oh, "Well, there was quasi quarting um, in the last cabinet." That was I'm just going to show you're saying there's none currently. Is it, look, what's more important is is diversity of thoughts. So, like, so what you're saying is black people shouldn't worry about having no representation in the cabinet because there's diversity of thoughts. He was like, mm, uh, uh, <laughs> He had a full meltdown. He, he, he didn't know what to say. He was brilliant. But it's that thing. So as Asian people, don't just get your foot in the door and then go, right, that's it, done. And you get to be the face of the diversity quota being ticked while black people are still being treated like shit. And that's where the solidarity has to be because I know the solidarity is there when black people uh, are getting things as a bonus, or when you need to support and numbers for your shit, then there'll be black people there. And I don't want there to be division between the minority groups 
at all. So, you know what I mean? It's that kind of thing, man. We've all got to come together on it. Um, yeah. Well, I'll see. We'll see how it goes. I mean, um, it's been an interesting week. Uh, speaking to... He's actually follow up with him. It's a simple, uh, simple from the ESM podcast. He asked, do I think that information is the... It's the solution to racism, and um, and yeah, my answer is no. I don't think it is on its own. I think to beat this racism virus that we have, it's three points here: it's information, education, and indoctrination. Now, I know indoctrination it has negative connotations, like religious indoctrination, uh, people lacking. You know, brainwashing is what you think of when you think of indoctrination. But we've currently been brainwashed in one way anyway. You know, capitalism is the way you've been brainwashed. If you, you don't know that, but it's how you've been educated. If you've ever done a business studies class, you're not taught about other economic systems that can work. You might learn that in sociology. You know, about socialism, capitalism, all that stuff. But you're really taught social sociology, I mean, socialism and communism as other they're the alternatives but how it is then and the best way is capitalism we've been indoctrinated in that way when i do business studies classes uh i'm not taught business studies in a way that's in a communist environment it's in a capitalist profit making wealth generating wealth growing perspective money making that's what it's all about so if you can indoctrinate capitalism you can indoctrinate that we don't eat dogs in this country yeah it's indoctrinated and give you steps to it so information information is that we don't eat dogs they're educated to not eat dogs yeah let's not use the dog thing let's use racism Let's use racism. Here's where he steps for racism. So the information, racism's out there. He, look, here's an example of racism. Here's another example. Education is educating where it comes from, why it's there, why it's bad. Yeah? That's the thing, and why it persists. It's, it's those kinds of things. That's the education. In school, learning about black history and Asian history, pre-colonization during colonization but they've got to know what was going on in india when the brits got there got to know what's going on in africa when the brits got there what sent them over there what motivated them to go over there yeah what was going on in africa before they got there what civilizations and kingdoms were thriving you know it's just taking that full 360 approach to that that's your education you know, and talking about how you know people on the wind rush and and how Asians came from Uganda and Kenya to the UK, was it Idi Amin? That's you know all that kind of that's all interesting history. This enriches the history, British history. It, you know, it does, that's all it does. Yeah, Britain did some terrible things, but what's the harm in learning that? 
And I think if you can acknowledge that you've done some terrible things, then tell you what, when you find out Britain does some good things, you're like, okay, cool, that's, that is something to be proud of. You see what I mean? Because you've heard it, heard it both ways. Um, so the indoctrination part is it's the bit where you are telling them, it, no, it just can't be accepted. Um, it, whether it's enshrined in law, or it's just got to be, you know, it's drilled in your head that it's just, it's just, it cannot go like that. You cannot be racist. Not allowed. Pretty sure people still think it. No, not if they're indoctrinated. That's what it is. But then it's who's doing the indoctrination, how it's done, will be the issue. That the issue tackling uh, tackling racism. Well, you know, we'll see, man. We'll see. Um, but yeah, but the protest today, they're chilled. There were uh, no horses. <laughs> Did you see yesterday? Police lady came off a horse. Now I don't know what happened before the horse started running that speed. There's one side is saying that it was the protesters that spooked the horse and it started bolting. With the, the PC on the back, another another group of people saying no. It was the um, it was her charging at the protesters, um, and they lost control of the horse. I know, but she clarted her head off that traffic light. It was wild. Anyone who wants to see the video hasn't seen it, uh, just message me. I'll send it to you. You need to see them. Um, then that horse just runs around the protest with no rider and obviously that gets dangerous because if you've not seen a police horse before these things look like they're from bloody Lord of the Rings they are huge absolutely huge no exaggeration a police horse is probably its head is probably about nine feet in the air <laughs> these police horses they look like they generally look like from Lord of the Rings. They look like from Middle Earth. They are huge, man. So if one of these is running around, get the fuck out of the way. Um, and as you saw, it hit two people. I saw videos of two people. A picture of one and a video of a second. Um, this poor person walks from like turns a corner. I think they're about to hit a zebra cross, crossing, and then bam, a big old police horse smashes them, and the horse just doesn't stop. And what was so interesting was that the horse, uh, so the police officer, sorry, broke collarbone, punctured lung, I think broke three ribs, but recovering, not non-life-threatening. Uh, and that's, that's what the, the tweet was from the police. Like, the, the PC's doing fine, they're recovering, no life-threatening injuries. Oh, and the horse is fine. And the horse made its way back to the stables. How mad is that? This horse is trained enough to find its way back to stables, but is not trained enough to not get flipping shook in a protest. Like, you took the wrong horse there. You took the wrong horse. That is obviously not a top horse. They got startled, but it found its way home. Like, bam! Nuts. But, um, I don't think anyone, anything else has really happened, uh, in the week. I'm trying to think if I've seen anything else. I'm probably remember when the pod's over but I don't think anything else has happened um I, nope had to get new car insurance for a car that I'm getting rid of which is annoying um I thought I wouldn't need car insurance because I'm not driving it at the moment that's our plan 
but obviously if it's on the road you need it insured so um I yes I just I told my insurer that I'm literally going to be doing 1,000 miles this year <laughs> didn't get any of the extras I just got the lowest quote just to cover me until I get my new car um that's what happened there nothing else happened in the week no so let's get some dear dear going it's only going to be a half hour one um let's see oh football's coming back right that's all the fixtures come out um I, I initially wasn't interested in football coming back then when i saw football's gonna be on tv twice a day like every day i was like football's the best isn't it <laughs> We'll see, we'll see. Um, all right, dear Deirdre, I can't choose between my loyal girlfriend, my old flame, or my other drug loving ex. Jesus Christ, are you you're not getting involved free, are you? Jeez, let's have a look. Um, dear Deirdre, I had mind blowing sex with an ex from five years ago who is who is the love of my life, but I can't see us making a go of it again because I am such a cheat. Right. Not only do I have a lovely girlfriend who I live with, uh, I have also been seeing another old flame who is wild and sexy, but a bit of a druggie. So that makes three women in my life. Wow. I was surprised to hear from my big love. Her partner is the jealous and controlling type. But now that lockdown is easing and we can all go out more, she said he had gone fishing with his dad and would be out all day she suggested we have a drink together around at hers wow um she originally broke up with me because i cheated on her i told my girlfriend i was on an errand for my mum. it was great to see my ex and we were soon having sex that rhymes it's different from how it is with the other girls i would drop everything for her but i know she won't finish her relationship she's 26 and i'm 27 um, and I could really make things work and we could really make things work oh sorry and could we really make things work again after so long could she ever trust me probably not because <laughs> you're cheating on two women to get with her I live with my girlfriend who is 30 and a work colleague I know she feels seriously about me then there is the druggy ex I'm seeing on and off too Jesus Christ we've had sex a couple of times after she sent me sexy messages I snuck around hers and it was wild. She is 28 and amazingly sexy and daring. Really excited in bed. But I don't trust her. Oh, wow. Pot kettle. She drinks a lot and does drugs. I would never know what she had been up to, where she had been or who she had been with. I ended it with her a year ago and moved in with my colleague who is now my girlfriend. It has been great with her. She has a nice flat and cooks us proper meals. But now what? I've like it's like i've ruined every relationship with all this cheating but i can't stop it makes me feel more secure well there you go you just ended your thing with your problem you're an insecure guy find out what makes you insecure and fix that it's that simple man what are you playing at you know what i mean what, what are you playing at Anyway, let's go next. Bedroom boredom. I'm lucky if my boyfriend and I have sex more than once every three months. Wait a minute. No, he's shouting after me. Yep. Yeah, I am doing my podcast. Alright. <laughs> but 
Uh, right, bedroom boredom. Um, I'm lucky if my boyfriend and I have sex more than once every three months. Dear Deirdre, I'm lucky if my boyfriend and I get down to it more than once every three months. Wow. Um, I have a high sex drive, but he shrugs me off if I try to initiate sex. Making excuses after excuse. Have you put on weight? Well, let's see, it's going to be something shallow like this. We are both 33 and have had have been a couple for 10 years. We plan to marry next year, but I don't want to commit to a lifetime of frustration and rows. Fair enough. It feels like he's bored with me. There is no intimacy, no kissing, no cuddling. Yeah, you got to find out what that is. Maybe dress for someone else. Maybe that. Maybe dress as someone else. Um... Yeah, I'm not sure why he would only want it once every three months. Like, even if he wasn't attracted to you, he would want it more than that. Because we're quite simple as blokes. <laughs> I can't remember which comedians said it. They said that, uh. <laughs> they said men don't love women, they love pussy. And said, <laughs> I think it's on a meme, and then someone goes, This is true. Because if, if my TV had a pussy attached to it, I would marry that. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, right, let's see. Next one. One more. Um, wow, hung up. I keep getting drunk and wasting all my money. On sex hotlines during lockdown. I've never understood these things. Dear, dear, do normally I'd have a drink down a pub with friends. But lockdown means I'm boozing at home on my own. You could just not drink. When I get drunk, I stupidly call sex lines. And did it the other Saturday night. And in the morning realised I spent £170 on premium rate calls. I don't have this problem when I'm sober. So I don't drink. When I'm, I'm 30 and feel confident. This wouldn't happen if I was in a relationship, but that is difficult at the moment with social distancing. I don't want to have to give up alcohol completely. Is there anything you can re- recommend to take my mind off things rather than this happening again and me having a monster phone bill? Um, look, you just got to uh, <laughs> got to stop calling sex lines. Now, what do you get from that, man? Porn is free. Just do that. Spending £170. That is such an expensive wank. Um, anyway. Right, last one. Because, um... How long are we going for? 26 minutes. Yeah, well, we'll get to the 30-minute mark. Um, I have finally gone back to work, but I'm now having sex with my boss. Dear Deirdre, I'm having sex with my boss in the boardroom at work. We chat over drinks, too, but neither of us has the slightest idea what any of it means. I'm a 23-year-old guy. She's 38. Nice. And we work for a satellite internet firm. And we've been working throughout the COVID crisis, sometimes from home, but lately back in the office full-time. The pressure was immense to keep the wheels turning and it was stressful to deal with that at home. It was such a relief to get back in the office and to have somewhere to offload and the stress for a change, yep. It was great to be joking and laughing with colleagues again. This is the first time I've had a female boss and I was in awe of the way she handles herself. 
He copes with the pressure and manages the staff while still having a good laugh. Not only that, but she always looks fit and well-groomed, with looks and a figure most women would envy. I knew she was older than me, but still fancied her big time, although I reckon she was out of my league. It all started on Friday of the week we went back to work. I'd been working flat out and she brought in wine and some beers to the end of the week. Uh, to end the week, most of the others drifted off home before too long, but I stayed behind as it felt really good to be catching, to be chatting with her after hours. I sank a few beers and she had a few glasses of wine. I could hardly believe she was flirting with me. She told me to stop being socially distant and to come and sit down on the couch as she wanted to tell me how well I'd done. I got overheated and kissed her, but it seemed like I'd done the right thing. She leaned back, took off my jacket, and gave it my... Oh, sorry. She leaned back, I took off my jacket, and gave it my all. It was great. Since then, we've been working late, in the office on Fridays and having sex. I don't know where it's going to end. Yeah, because this is a risky one. Because if you like your job... Um, then, yeah, basically, yeah, what is it do you want? Do you want more? As long as, yeah, if you want more, she doesn't, you should be fine. If she wants more and you don't, then, eesh, it could be over for you. That's the thing. So I think it's a three and four chance. Right, it's either she wants more, you want more, good. She wants more, she wants less, she doesn't want anything serious, you don't want anything serious, good. She doesn't want anything serious, you do. That means you have to control yourself, fine. But she wants more and you don't. That's when it's bad. So it's one in four chance of it being bad. So I say, continue, mate. You just carry on doing what you're doing and enjoy yourself. Right. Is there anything else to talk about on this pod? I uh, don't think there is. Um, no. No. Just, yeah, protest, coronavirus, Brexit. <laughs> That's still happening. No. Nothing else, nothing else. Um, that's it. That's it. Um, Alright, that's the end of the pod. I don't have anything else to say. Right, peace.